welcome. This is Bleacher Blums, a sports podcast for baseball fans. Now here's David Tuttle and Astros master of banter, Blummer. So Blummer, we're bringing it in from the bleachers here in California. You always uh, introduce us, but I'll introduce us today. It's uh, David Tuttle and uh, Jeff Blum. Hi. 16-year major leaguer there, current color commentator of the Houston Astros, and then me, just a friend. No, uh, Dave Tuttle played. Say uh, you're just a friend. That's right. Uh, Dave Tuttle played nine years in the minor leagues, along with Team USA, All-American pitcher from Santa Clara University, and um, good buddies with uh, Blummer. So, Blummer, the West Coast here has been kind of hot and humid for SoCal, which you were used to Mm -hmm. um, when you lived out here. But uh, humidity, you guys have the, uh, the market cornered on that in Houston, so... Tell me how you've been this week. And uh, the last few podcasts, we did a mailbag, everybody. Yeah, the mailbag will come out soon. We are, It's kind of in the tank. Oh, yeah. Sorry about that. Maybe we can edit that out, right? There you go. <laughs> well, we did a mailbag. So I'm not good at this, you know? Yeah, so it'd be great to hear feedback, though, from the uh, episode we did with uh, with Vic. You guys can get at us at Real... Uh, at Real David Tuttle and at Blummer27 on both Instagram, Twitter. We also have Mark Ramos, our producer, um, handling the Bleacher Blums, um, the Bleacher Blums social media. So you can get us, get at us at all of those uh, venues. And uh, so Blummer, how you been there in uh, Houston? You had a couple days off, I know. I'm good. You don't ever get yeah. two days off in a row, so 48 hours is like, woo. Uh, well, and, and it's a good thing, too, because uh, 48 hours off going into 17 straight games wow. is going to be a bit of an adventure, but uh, it's nice that it's September, so there is something actually to look forward to. It was good to be able to reconnect with the family and hang out with my girls. Uh, I actually got to watch volleyball again last night, which was kind of cool. We will actually be into that home stretch, so these next 17 games are going to be crucial for the Astros, who have expanded their lead to about five and a half over Seattle and Oakland. They're going to have a couple more games against Oakland down the stretch. So that will be a lot of fun to watch, but I'm kind of, I'm digging in on that final stretch of the season, not just as a broadcaster, but kind of that player mentality also where you just, you you start to see the end, whether it be, you know, for some of these teams, it's going to be, okay, I'm making some offseason plans or I'm giving that last three-week contract push to see what I can get next year and impress whoever I need to impress so I can have a job next year. Or you're in the Astro camp where you're just going, okay, let's just win some ball games, grind this thing out, and get past the uh, American League West, raise the, raise the flag, raise the banner, raise the title, and pop some champagne because I know it was last year was a little subdued with the championship uh, uh, enjoyment process. This year might be a little bit different with the ability to go out there and just really pop some champagne bottles and enjoy it and do it in front of your fans. Yeah, so Blubber, tell me about that. I mean, I, I we've discussed this on the podcast before, and I mean, in the minor leagues, it was like win or go home. I mean, we won championships in the minor leagues, and we did have – some champagne and some celebration at that point. But the way celebrations have, you know, become in, you know, in, in major sports in general, especially in baseball, it's like, all right, we won the, you know, we won our division champagne pop, right? We won the wild card. Yay. Champagne pop. We won the, you know, championship series champagne. Like last year, obviously diminished that. But when you're a team like the Astros who went, obviously, you know, they've earned this, right? They were a hundred lost team, you know, when AJ first came in and now they're starting to win a hundred games. But when you put a lineup and a team on the field, like the Astros do, they're expected to win. I don't think that takes away from the sincerity and the enjoyment of grinding out a season where you, you know, a hundred win season 
in a 162 game uh, total season that I don't know if it diminishes the the celebration, but as you said last year, it was a little subdued. But are these guys like when you ex- are expected to win? I guess there's a little more pressure, but is it relieving the pressure from the expectation? I mean, you got to figure the Astros probably all long all year at least the GM and everybody else probably expected to be in this position. So does that affect the celebration? Or I see you nodding along. You're like, hell no. <laughs> no, no, no. You, like you just said, you go through 162 games and you prove that you're the best. You, you're damn well going to enjoy the, uh, the end of that. And I think it's a little bit different this season for the Houston Astros. And I could be completely wrong, but the, everything that they have been through in the last year, two years and, the way last year went, little uh, played a little bit under par, you know, sub 500, sneak into the playoffs and then destroy everybody until they get to that seventh game of the ALCS and miss out on going to the World Series again. I think that uh, they showed up this season knowing fans were going to be in the stands, knowing they were going to get their share of vitriol and booing and haterade that's out there. And they played their asses off on the road. And I think it might be a little bit more special for these guys in a couple of different ways. That being one of them, knowing that they were up against a wall, they were targeted, yet they still went out there and played great baseball, took and potentially taking back the American League West. That's one thing. And then I think the other side of it is going, hey, guess what? We're still good. I think that's, you know, there's a certain amount of pride in that clubhouse for these guys to go out there and continue to play well, considering all the controversy around them and putting up numbers comparable to 2017, putting up numbers comparable to 2019 and winning another division title with all of the controversy and all of the people around them being skeptics. I think that will add a little more, a little more icing on the cake for them when they do actually pop those bottles of champagne you won't hear it maybe maybe carlos may carlos correa may be the one guy that's the vocal leader and may say something in a post-game interview but i think for the most part these guys are going to get underneath after they clinch that uh, american league west and pop those bottles of champagne and kind of look around at each other and go yeah that's right we we came back we enjoyed it and uh, it's our time to have some fun with it you know blummer I, I really appreciate you saying that because i i you you rarely I mean, you've taken on your new role really well, but you know, being a media personality, uh, an ex-player, but you rarely kind of get into the the feelings of it. And I think I brought this up before that when we started the, the podcast, you know, two and a half years ago, just about how guys don't typically play for the money. I mean, you mentioned contract years, and certainly they get paid to do this, but really, it's the ultimate competitor that these guys are. And then when you have something like you know what the Astros went through with you know, the video and the trash can and all that stuff, which obviously we know other teams were doing. It really can um, galvanize is the word I was thinking of galvanize a team. And we did talk about that, the the chip on the shoulder thing. So I think you're right. I mean, I think anyway, just the way you said it, you articulated it very well. I mean, you could tell there's like some underlying current there. Like, yeah, yeah, we showed them. And that's really what makes athletics and sports and all of these things so fantastic is that you know teams can do that and i do think maybe added pressure may not be the right word but i think all along the astros probably expected to be in this position with the kind of team that they put together and um and the fact that they're now gonna you know accomplish goal number one of the season um i do i think they should enjoy it and i do think they should take some comfort in that but it will be interesting to see as always how the playoffs shake out because we know that's pitching and defense um, and the pitching, you know, especially from the bullpen aspect is probably the Astros, um, 
you know, if there's a weak link, that's probably the weak link. So last year they had a sub 500 record, got in and then started beating people this year. They're kind of expected to probably do a little more damage, at least get to the ALCS. And it'll be interesting to see. So this year's journey, I think to your point, you got to enjoy every step along the way, right? If you accomplish a task, then celebrate that. So No, and I think that's an excellent point. I think that might be another reason why you've got to go out there and enjoy all these opportunities that you do get in the playoffs. You know, I played 14 years in the major leagues and I had, man, 2000, 2005 was my first playoff appearance. I broke in the league in 99. So 2005 was my first playoff appearance. 2006 uh, with San Diego, we won the the National League West, so that was my second appearance. And then I didn't get back to the playoffs until 2011 with the Arizona Diamondbacks. So three years out of 14 years, and getting into the playoffs, and they were sweet every time. But I mean, there's there's teams along, or there's you know there's players along the way that never even get into the playoffs who end up in the Hall of Fame. So, and you talk to you probably talk to some of those guys. I'm sure there's interviews on record where they're going, "Hey, what was missing in your career? You know, you made it to the Hall of Fame," and they're saying a world championship or playoff appearance, yeah. you know, there's a lot of things missing. So even as good as these guys have been, because I think in four of the last five years, not only have they qualified for the playoffs, but they've been to the American league championship series and been to the world series twice. And that's something that you want to continue to do as often as you can, because when you do retire and you're on a podcast with an old buddy and you start to tell stories and you really start to re-engage and reassess what your career was, you're going to really appreciate those, those moments that you had with the boys grinding it out for 162 and then fighting like hell through a playoff series. Those are, those are moments and memories that will never go away. And they really kind of establish maybe a legacy for, for some guys as far as what they did in the regular season and then what they were able to do in the postseason because that's you know that's the ultimate barometer of greatness is championships yeah did i just heard you call me old old buddy so i just heard the old in there but you know we, we bring up you are we are yeah when you bring up like charles barkley or dan marino remember dan marino famously went to the super bowl his uh, rookie year and never made it back and obviously yeah, there you never go. won one and i think that's the always kind of the when i think of you know who did what that is always something that sticks out in my mind. So, hey, St. Arnold uh, sponsors what What's on Tap, and we want to uh, welcome you again back into the bleachers and let you know today we are going to discuss NFL season kicked off last night. So, uh, Blummer, you and I had a fantasy football draft this last week, but we can talk about our draft. I got rated really poor on Yahoo, but uh, the NFL season kicked off. We do want to talk about um, 9-11. We're coming up on the 20-year anniversary of that. And uh, some of the things that we've discussed on this podcast before, I mentioned we've been doing this about two and a half years. We've probably covered some of these things. But now as we increase our listenership and the audience gets to know us, we can um, you know, tell some more stories that we have about um, 9-11 personal stories. And then lastly, uh, there might be a Waddle Tuttle say or a Blum's Blast. My, uh, I told my brother to use the correct route of uh, communicating with me, but he texted me a mailbag question. And I said, hey, go to bleacherblums.com and ask the question in there. But he texted me something that I thought I could go off on. So He's got the inside track. So we want to thank St. Arnold Brewery, which I haven't been to yet, um, but I'm going to make that a, uh, a priority. And now is uh, hopefully we're traveling and doing some things to make it down there. And we're going to probably do a podcast there eventually. But uh, that's what's on tap for the podcast brought to you by St. Arnold. I love it. And football season happened. 
Last night, it was a Thursday night, first football game of the season. You had your Tampa defending world champions in the Tampa Bay Buccaneers and their 44-year-old fossil at quarterback going up against Dak Prescott and the Dallas Cowboys. So you had the reigning world champions against, quote-unquote, I don't even know, are they even still the America's team? the Dallas Cowboys. You know, that, I love that question. I mean, that could be a whole podcast in itself. I was a Cowboys fan. I mean, how long it. can they ride that thing out? Yeah, I mean, I, I don't know. It's the star. <laughs> it's whatever. They're in Texas. I mean, I, I don't think that's ever going to go away. And I think what proves that, if we really want to get in the business, is, you know, when they value these franchises, right? The Yankees and the Cowboys. Yeah, and they're the Yankees of football. They are. I mean, they're, 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 their franchise just keeps increasing in terms of value. So, I mean, I guess that makes them America's team in terms of, you know, like Jeff Bezos is America's entrepreneur, <laughs> then the Cowboys are going to be America's team as long as they're worth $4 billion or whatever. Billion. So, anyway, yeah, I don't know if they're America's team, but anyways, I just want to bash on the South Oklahoma Cowboys. Um, <laughs> we had a fantasy football draft uh, the other day before we led into this. Uh, it was Wednesday, I believe it was Wednesday night that we had this draft and I was actually available for this one. So going back to last year, I actually had to go on auto draft, and I think I ended up in the playoffs somehow. <laughs> and this year, I actually I got to draft my team, so I actually did do some research. And what's great about these fantasy football drafts, and this is the first 12-team draft I've ever been in, so it was a little extensive. Uh, you had to dig deep on some guys and do a little more research and, and maybe take some chances on guys. Um, I, I feel like my I feel like I flubbed on the running back side of things, especially after last night's game because I had uh, Ezekiel Elliott uh, in my on my team, and I'm I'm not sure if it's Mike McCarthy or the new system or the way football's played, but man, he had zero to do with that football game and uh, didn't put up any points. And then we got through the entire draft, and of course Yahoo Sports, which the platform that we're going through for our fantasy football. Uh, what is this thing? League gave out grades. They had a little report card. Now I, I managed to pull a, yeah, I managed to pull a B, a, just a flat B in this. So I was pretty happy with myself. I'm still waiting to see if that comes to fruition because after last night's performance with my running backs, I'm a little disappointed. So I'm going to need, I, I'm, my quarterback is Kyler Murray. I'm going to need him to go for another 4,500 yards this year. I've got uh, DK Metcalf up in Seattle. I'm going to need him to go just bonkers with his physicality. So I'm going to need my wide receivers and quarterback to really, really pick things up this week if I'm going to have any kind of competition. But I got ready to be somebody on this podcast, not named Ramos, pulled up the rear. That was me. And I think it was Tuttle, who is Prestige Worldwide. That's right. Is the name of your team. And you you you're rocking the C minus, pulling up the the backside of this league. What happened, dude? And do you believe in the ratings? So I'm I'm going to claim that USC got into my transcript from college, <laughs> and just started looking at the the GPA, and they went, oh yeah, this guy's a C minus guy all the way. Um, no, you hey, know, C's get degrees. That's right, C's get degrees, especially when you're playing <laughs> baseball on a scholarship. <clears throat> anyway. <laughs> Uh, yeah, you know, I, I've learned over the years, so we've only been in this league three or four years, but I do have another fantasy football league I'm part of, and it is the worst because they always put projections for your players right next to the slot. And you're like, oh, mm. and I initially, when I first got in the league, I'd be like, oh, I got to take this guy out and put this guy in. Look at the projection they have. And that guy flubs for the week. And so similar to gambling, the data is there, all the information is there, but you got to make, you know, the decision that's right for you. Now, I have two things to say about my C minus. First of all, 
I don't, you know, it doesn't bother me in the least because they don't know what the heck they're talking about. This is an algorithm that spits out <laughs> stuff. So if I finish last in the league. F, F the analytics, man. Well, F Yahoo's like algorithm. I mean, the analytics are there. My <laughs> analytics are different. That's all. So, and I will say the two draft picks that they harped on the most, you know, what do we have? 45 seconds between picks, you know, and this was our first. Oh man. This was our first 12 teamer. My daughter, there were spiders on the garbage can and she's like, I got to take the garbage <laughs> out. She's freaked out. So I went outside and I had like, there were like 15 picks till you pick next. I came back in. And it had five seconds left to, for my next pick. And I was like, uh-oh. <laughs> so there were a few picks in there where I should have actually put it on auto draft when I meandered outside. So, I mean, that, you know, that's a little bit of an excuse. But my point is, I think over the years, what they tell you, the way your draft looks at the beginning of the year doesn't always align with where you end up. And as you said, last year, you auto drafted oh, and made it in the playoffs. If you had won the championship, it would have been a, you know, I would have put an asterisk by it. You know, you had no say in who those, I'm just joking. What? Um, That's just genius uh, managing right I'm there. crushing you. <laughs> yeah, it was right. Yeah, it was actually, yeah, you auto drafted, but then it's how you pulled the levers that made the, that made the difference, right? So, I don't put a I lot think of I stock. I also led the league in transactions, too. Yes, that's right. Oh, well, there you go, which is another little wallet hit, right? The more transactions yeah. you have. So, oh, yeah. So the overall yeah, point Part is, of my winnings right back, right back into it. Yeah. The overall point is I don't put a lot of stock in what their rating is at the uh, at the outset, and so we'll see how the fantasy football season goes. Blummer, I do also want to address Zeke Elliott. Zeke Elliott's going to be fine. You know, again, this is a little overanalyzed, but I was listening to somebody say, well, Zeke Elliott only got 11 carries last night. So Indomitian Sue and that Vea guy from Oregon. Oh, man. I mean, you just don't Dude, run the— that defensive line is good, Yeah, man. you don't—they were the number one defensive line. So, so again, Mike McCarthy probably—I mean, what he proved last night to me is he can coach. I mean, they probably said, look, we're going to have to attack these guys wide, and we're going to have to do what we do. Maybe they should have fed the ball to Zeke a little more in the passing game. Uh, they used Pollard in that regard, but I, I don't think there's mm -hmm. anything— what one game does not a season make, and we talk about that in baseball, right? 162 oh my gosh, games. Isn't this hilarious? Yeah. yeah, you got 17 games. So please, Blummer, um, as your friend and your podcast partner here, don't panic I'm on. I'm pulling Z. back from the panic button. I'm Thank pulling you. back. I know, and it was funny too because I was watching the part of that. It, obviously, I watched about three quarters of that game. And I got to the point where I was like, dude, Zeke is just in there as a decoy and to just chip block every freaking linebacker that's coming through the line. It was unbelievable how often Tampa Bay was bringing a little extra pressure to get to Dak Prescott. And that's probably a little bit of a side note for me is that I don't know if it was our team or if it was the team I had last year that had Dak Prescott. And dude, he looks good considering he destroyed his ankle last year after five games. I mean, if I'm a Dallas Cowboy, which I probably never will be, is Dak Prescott actually looked pretty good last night, man. I was I was pleasantly surprised by him. Yeah, he looked fantastic. And I believe you did have him last year because the guy in our league that had him last year for five weeks, he killed us. I mean, he was on oh, fire. I, was, I think that's what got me yep. into the playoffs is I did have him last year and he was, yeah. he was 30 to 35 points a week. Yeah, he was on fire and he did it again last night. And I think he's just showing mm -hmm. his worth and his medal. I mean, what a fantastic performance. And, you know, as everybody says, this is about wins and losses and Brady will take a lesser evening to have a win but uh but i mean if you guys were wondering about dak prescott's you know internal intestinal fortitude and toughness and uh resilience uh resiliency and the fact that if he's healthy all the way back i would say 
last night's pretty uh, indicative of the fact that he is. And you got to be, as we said, if you're America's team and you root for America's team, <laughs> you got to be happy with the uh, with the quarterback choice. So I think you know Zeke will be fine. And you know, again, this is going to be a long football season. I'm excited that it's back. That's the bottom line. Super excited. Yeah, I'm ex- I'm excited too. And this really is a special time of the year. I think September October is probably one of the greater moments in sports history or sporting seasons, just because you do have the baseball season winding down, playoffs are coming, all the matchups, all the potentials, and then you have the start of a college football season, NFL's going, uh, you know, it, the Ryder Cup in golf, if you want to take it to that extent, is exciting. I enjoy all of that. So this is really a good time, but I just had something pop in my head, and this is, this is literally is something that we have not talked about. And it, the only reason I bring it up is because you were pumping Tom Brady before we got onto this show. And it's just amazing that at 44 years old, he's going out there and winning football games. And he still has the expectation of going out there and winning. It was just kind of fun to watch the way that game unfolded. And we talked about it. And I saw some of the shots of the sideline. Tom Brady's over there picking his nose, you know, down by, you know, a couple of points, a minute and a half left. And he, you know, he just kind of, yeah, uh, you know, I, I got this, guys. We'll be all right. You know, could you imagine being in the huddle with this guy, knowing that, like, oh, we've got a minute and a half. I should be in freak panic mode. Oh, I got to do my job. I got to do this. And then Tom Brady's over there going, bro, just run your route. I will hit you in the chest. You catch it. And we'll just keep moving down the field. Yeah. I mean, this guy's the picture of calm. But the question that kind of popped into my head is, it, you know, we look around different leagues and you try and compare careers, legacies, and things like that, not in the sense of championships, but in the sense of longevity, you could almost argue that Tom Brady is the Nolan Ryan of football. It's amazing how long this dude has played at such a high level, man. Yeah, it is. And I think I got to give Nolan Ryan the tip of the cap here in the sense that baseball, especially throwing a ball 100 miles an hour, um, Nolan never changed his style. He didn't become a knuckleballer for his last five years of his career. Yeah. You know, he's still in 96, 97. That's a great and point. Like, he's scaring people away. Um, so physicality-wise, I think Nolan Ryan, certainly an anomaly and certainly a fantastic. But what I find with quarterback, and they talk about it being one of the most difficult positions in sports, is this is a really cerebral game. I mean, you can tell Tom does not want to get hit. So he's not afraid to like, yeah. you know, think his way through this and get rid of the ball when he needs to. But it's it's amazing. And I will relate it to, you know, my experience. And we've talked about this on the pod before. When you're in the minor leagues and you're trying to break through to the big leagues, like every outing in spring training is like, you know, you got to throw a scoreless inning and you get, you know, you're in big league camp and the manager's there and he sends you in the game like, hey, you got to put your best foot forward. If you're a guy who's already, you know, Randy Johnson shilling those guys that I was there with, you know, like, yeah, yeah, let me get my work in. We'll go play some golf and we'll be ready for the season. Um, similar to the Rams this year, they don't play their starters in the preseason. So there are different rules for different players. And what it makes me think of with Tom Brady is that he has now reached another level. Like Michael Jordan was tenacious and you know notoriously the best basketball player of all time. I mean, Brady's been in this class for a long time, but he is now at the level, to your point, where all that stuff he forgets about every year, which is great, but he already has all that stuff. And so what he brings to the table is not just confidence and 
an air of like, oh, we're going to succeed regardless. But he brings that to the other 51 guys. And I think that is, yeah. that's when you've transcended, right? Transcendent is how we would describe probably the top five athletes of all time. You know, Jordan was transcendent with what he did. Tom Brady, certainly transcendent. You know, these are, you know, Bo Jackson and, you know, some of these guys that were just bigger than the sport. But you know, like you said, Tom was picking his nose and hanging out over there. Like, I don't think it's it's really important to believe that you're going to go out there and succeed. But when you can go out there and step on the field with a minute, 20 seconds left and no timeouts and all 52 other guys or 51 other guys believe it also, mm-hmm. that is when you've achieved something. And I think that's why he's going to keep playing. I mean, Antonio Brown was interviewed after the game. He's like, Phew. he's like, we knew we were going to win. <laughs> I mean, you know, we got the goat in the huddle, you know? So, and I think Joe Montana did some of that as well when he was in San Francisco, but I just think that that is the next level stuff, right? He's 44, so physical and all that stuff. He's got it. But now what he does is he basically has got 51 other guys in his pocket. Like, here we go. And I just think that's the amazing part. And I don't know if you ever played with a guy like that or if you can think of anybody like that from baseball, Nolan Ryan. I mean, you know, he did it every fifth day, but that's, that's a... That's a, you know, rising tides raise all boats thing, and that's not going away. No, it's not. we got to raise our boats right here. We're going to throw it right now to a sponsor. The best way to learn a language? Immersion. Living where the language is spoken and using it every day. But if that's not in the cards this year, you can still learn a language the second best way, and that's with Babbel. Be a better you in 2024 with Babbel, the science-backed language learning app that actually works. Don't pay hundreds of dollars for private tutors or waste hours on apps that don't really help you speak the language. Babbel's quick 10-minute lessons are handcrafted by over 200 language experts that help you start speaking a new language in as little as three weeks. Babbel's designed by real people for real conversations, and their tips and tools are approachable, accessible, rooted in real-life situations, and delivered with conversation-based teaching so you're ready to practice what you've learned in the real world. Here's a special limited-time deal for our listeners. Right now, get up to 60% off your Babbel subscription at babbel.com slash bluewire. That's 60% off at babbel.com slash bluewire, spelled B-A-B-B-E-L dot com slash bluewire. Rules and restrictions apply. Thank you for that word from our sponsor. And I want to hit that last question that Tuttle got to me real quick about transcendent ballplayers that I've played with. There really isn't. And we have talked about this at length on our podcast, the difference in sports between, you know, the three major sports. You've got the NBA, you've got the NFL, and then you've got Major League Baseball. And you could even take it to soccer to an extent where you've got a player on your team who can take control of a game and win it for you. I feel that baseball is a little bit different. I think you need a couple of those guys, and then you need that belief system because when you're failing seven out of 10 times, it opens up the opportunity for failure more than success. But it's all relative, and it's got to be put in context. There's not too many guys that I've played with in clutch key situations late in games where I've said, you know what, so-and-so is at the dish. 
this game's over. He's going to hit a home run. He's going to get a base hit. He's going to drive that runner in. You know, those guys are tough to find in baseball just because so many things have to go to your way. You could do everything right on a baseball field and not have success. You know, there's not too many pitchers. You know, we all want to, we all want that shutdown closer. We all want that nine inning complete game type guy. You know, Justin Verlander is a guy who comes to mind who can really command a ball game for seven innings, if not more. Carlos Correa is a guy that comes to mind when he comes to the plate. I spoke to it the other day when he had a walk-off uh, base hit late in a game against the Seattle Mariners where there's just certain guys in certain moments where you kind of feel you feel better than most that is better than most than other guys on the team but that's different in the NBA for me I feel like Michael Jordan LeBron James Kobe Bryant uh, you know some of these other guys could take control of a game where you could come down half court give the guy the ball Everybody just hides in a corner and lets this guy do what he needs to do to win these games. Steph Curry's another guy that comes to mind where you just kind of you just kind of hang out in the periphery and just go and just wait and just wait to see what this guy's going to do because he's going to knock down the shot when I need it. Uh, you know, there's quarterbacks. You mentioned Joe Montana. There's guys throughout the course of their careers who really had the opportunity, but I don't think baseball lends itself to one guy doing it. I think that football lends itself to one guy making it happen. You know, the quarterback puts the ball on the hands of the receiver. Of course, that guy has to catch it. Uh, you know, there's certain pieces that have to make that happen. But I do think that and the NFL, with way the way the quarterback position has been played, allows itself for those guys to be the guy that is calming in that situation and can't come up, come up clutch. Yeah, Blummer, I think you hit the nail on the head. I think basketball for sure. Let's do ISO and then one guy. But you can in baseball, and we talk yeah. about pitching and defense a lot, you can get the momentum, right? The tide can move in your direction. But that's why when you have a Garrett Cole or a Justin Verlander or a Nolan Ryan, it's great. Like, hey, every fifth day they're taking the mound. You get into the playoffs, it's every third day maybe every second day, and they're, they'll come out of the bullpen to save a game as well. Madison Bumgarner, you know, giant, comes to mind that World Series that he just took over. But again, I think you're right. You can feel the momentum and the tide shift, but having like Vlad Guerrero come up with all the, you know, everything in his favor, he can hit a P-rod at the shortstop for a double play. <laughs> and everyone's like, well, yeah, exactly. you know, we got our best hitter up and he smoked a ball and, you know, it, it just didn't work out for us. So I think you, I think you definitely... Um, you know, hit the nail on the head with that. Just a different sport. But it is when people say the ball sounds differently off their bat or this guy's different. That's what I just saw last night with Brady, right? The ball sounds different coming off his mm -hmm. bat because he's 44 and he's marching out on the field and everybody in that stadium, including the Dallas Cowboys who wanted to win and, you know, put everything into winning. Everybody knew what the outcome was going to be before it happened. So Hey, Blummer, we talk uh, every podcast about the veterans and, you know, the people that put their life on the line, you know, fire uh, first responders now with healthcare workers in this COVID pandemic. And uh, we're coming up here on the 20th anniversary of 9-11. And we both have some stories around that. But what a uh, what a crazy day that was for everybody. And obviously, um, kind of a tragic day in American history. And we'll probably have more conversations about this as the years go by. But uh, you had a, a story about that and certainly wanted to, we both wanted to provide some context and some, you know, some 
memories about uh, where we were and what happened on 9-11 and some of the things that we learned from that. So um, we're going to talk about 9-11 mm-hmm. and uh, maybe uh, hopefully honor some folks that perished and or helped a lot of people during those times. Yeah, it, it was a unique time. It's amazing to think that it is now 20 years removed from that uh, horrific event that happened in uh, in New York. 2001, 9-11, September 11th, and I am playing with the Montreal Expos. It's my third year in the big leagues, and we spent a lot of time in the National League East, obviously, and we were on a current road trip. We were down in Miami playing against the Florida Marlins at the time, and I was in a hotel in Fort Lauderdale, and just to give you an idea, this road trip was supposed to be, I think, three or four games in Miami, and then we were headed to uh, to New York. We were going to play the New York Mets I think around September 14th, 15th, and uh, we were in Fort Lauderdale, played a couple of games in Miami, and I get a phone call. You know, I'm dead asleep, maybe about uh, 9.30 in the morning on the East Coast, and it's my mom. Now, here's the interesting thing. My mom's birthday is September 11th, so happy birthday to my mom. She listens to this podcast, and... So I get the phone call and I'm going, oh, damn, mom's already on me about not wishing her a happy birthday, you know? So I kind of answer the phone. I'm like, hey, happy birthday, mom. She's like, are you watching TV? And I said, no, I had a game last night, you know, had a couple of pops with the boys. I go, I'm a little gassed right now. I didn't plan on waking up for another hour and a half, maybe. And she's like, turn on the TV now. And I was like, what the, what could my mom possibly be watching on the West coast? That's going to impact me here on the East coast. So of course I turn it on CNN, whatever Fox news, whatever it was. And oh my gosh, I, I, I cannot even begin to tell you that, you know, when you watch something on TV and you know, this is 20 years ago and you're, you're wondering, is this real? How does this even happen? What in God's name am I watching? Why in the hell is an airplane crashing into one of the World Trade Towers? And why is this thing on fire? Now what's going to happen? I mean, there were a billion different things going through my head at that moment. And then to watch that tragedy unfold and the lives perish and all of the horrific visuals and stories that came out of that situation were absolutely unbelievable. So I get off the phone with my mom and immediately, you know, we, we were getting phone calls from uh, management and it's saying, you know, we're going to go to the field. We're going to have meetings. The Marlins are having meetings. The Expos are having meetings. We're having conference calls with Major League Baseball. You know, this, the, the easiest decision that day was to say, don't play. Uh, you know, we had to recognize what was happening in New York and recognize what was happening to our country because it legitimately, you know, you and I were, you know, we were in high school, I think, or maybe just starting college when, you know, uh, when we were going into Iraq to get Saddam Hussein. So, I mean, we really didn't have an idea of what war was. We had an idea of what we were trying to accomplish, but to, to, to see that on our soil, it really gave me the sense of, oh my gosh, we are under attack. And so the easiest decision was to say, okay, we're going to shut down the season for the time being and figure out what's going on uh, moving forward. So as a Montreal Expo, we were on a Canadian team and immediately the airspace is shut down. Nobody's flying anywhere. And we, we are told that we can fly within the U.S., but we can't fly across the Canadian border. So our trek was work out at Miami, get on a plane, fly to Burlington, Vermont, and get off the plane in Burlington, Vermont with all of our gear, all of our equipment, and get to 
get to the border, it took us two hours. Usually a, a border crossing for us usually took maybe about 35 minutes. It took us two hours to get across the border because they literally went through every piece of luggage and every piece of equipment we had to let us across the border. We had to unload our buses, get the buses loaded, and then eventually got across the border and drove into Montreal. And it just so happened that Montreal was having a Supercross event and we couldn't use our field. So we drove all the way to Ottawa, Canada to the AAA affiliate and worked out there for about a week before the season started. But it, it was an awful time. It was a brutal time. And you really, the one thing that I, I take solace in, and we talked about this last year with the COVID crisis on how baseball can be such an unbelievably healing process for a society and baseball, I found myself in a position to be in a, on a ball club and represent something that could take the pain of what just happened away. And that's when I really took a lot of pride in being a Major League Baseball player. But it also helped me understand the impact that we actually do have by taking that field on a nightly basis. So it, it, was, it was tough. It was horrific. I did lose a friend in that 9-11 in that, uh, you know, uh, situation. I didn't know it until maybe about a year afterwards because I got separated from this guy in college. His name was Brent Woodall, and he was a tight end on the Cal football team and was a left-handed pitcher on the baseball team. And, you know, just a mountain of a man who came over and played baseball and we got to know him, but uh, we didn't get to know him long enough. So, uh, you know, a lot of respect to Brent Woodall and his family and everybody else who lost somebody on 9-11. But, uh, you know, that's just a little bit of insight into what was going on on the major league level. But Tuttle, everybody has a story when these events happen. And it's something that is just embedded in my brain. Uh, one of those, where, where were you moments when something happened? Uh, what do you got for 9-11? Like anybody listening to this podcast or anybody that was, you know, around during that time, I, I had just finished playing baseball. I was living in LA. I remember specifically, and I got the same kind of phone call. Of course, you know, you were nine o'clock on the on the East Coast, but it was about 6 a.m., which, you know, I was not getting up at 6 a.m. <laughs> not back then, you know, no kids, no. no any other, no other responsibilities at that point. But uh, yeah, and I, I, and I think I turned it on when, you know, one of the towers was hit and then got visual of the second plane hitting, you know, tower number two. And then you're thinking, oh gosh, this is something that we've never seen before. And as you uh, so eloquently put it, you know, it was the first time that we probably, you know, you've heard stories from aunts and uncles and maybe grandparents about World War II and, you know, Vietnam. But, mm -hmm. you know, it was the first time, like you said, where I think we realized that we were under attack and some of our ideology and our democratic viewpoints aren't uh, always so welcome around the world. And so it was a very um, eye-opening and a very, uh, you know, impactful moment, as you've already pointed out for all of us. But uh you mentioned the people you lost, and this is a really interesting thing, but two um, guys, actually a Cal Berkeley guy uh, who rode on the crew team, a guy named Mark Bingham, was uh, my class in my year of high school. And then another guy who was in the same on the same flight uh, went to my high school for one year and played baseball, a guy named Todd Beamer. Mark Bingham, Todd Beamer, both on the same plane that went down actually in Pennsylvania. They were on the plane that brought down that plane, Todd Beamer, famous. I think his yeah, wife wrote a book. that was an incredible story, yeah. Yeah. His wife wrote a book called Let's Roll, which is what those guys said as they went into the cockpit to uh, kind of alleviate that stuff. So not only did I know these guys from high school, but, you know, like most things, you lose touch with them and you don't really know what kind of people they are. And in high school, you know, here's this pimply face guy, me, <laughs> sitting next to another pimply face guy, Mark, or, you know, in, in my, you know, trigonometry class. And, 
you know, he went on to Berkeley and, you know, was on the crew team up there. And, you know, you just lose touch with all these guys. And then you get to hear these stories, as you mentioned, with your friend Brent. But I just think, uh, you know, you hear the story and, and, you know, these guys, I feel like, you know, true character, right, is revealed in times of stress and, and yes. uh, tumult, I guess, for lack of, lack of a better word, like turmoil. And uh, both these guys, I, I don't know, and I don't know if it's ever been pointed out that they went to high school together, you know, Mark, uh, Todd Beamer kind of moved high schools. You know, he's one of those guys, like, I think he grew up in San Jose. Then he came to my high school for a year. So when I was a sophomore, he was a junior on the baseball team. And then his junior year, he left school again. He went somewhere else. His parents moved. So this was kind of a guy who was pretty transient. So I didn't know. I remember him and, you know, one year on the baseball team, but I don't know if Mark Bingham and Todd Beamer knew each other or knew that they uh, went to the same high school for a year. But obviously, we've talked about those flights from Boston to San Francisco. They, they were still living on the West Coast. But anyway, they were on the same flight, had been to the same high school, and were, you know, two of the four or five guys that decided to, like, hey, we've heard the news. We've got the text messages. Um, you know, let's make a difference here. And they, and they did and sacrificed their lives, but also did it in the way that, you know, instead of going down passively and kind of wondering what's going on, they made a difference, um, hopefully, in the lives of uh, others too meaning you know they don't I, they, I don't even know if we ever knew what their target was somebody mentioned the pentagon or something like that but i think they saved many lives and uh realized that this was the best way to react in that situation but uh again you know we constantly talk about you know first responders and fire and police but normal people or regular people can do extraordinary things when pushed to the limit and uh yeah it was a very impactful not only event but you know hearing stories about people that I was connected to via high school. These guys, like I said, just a guy that sat next to me in trigonometry class or a guy that I had baseball practice with, you know, you can hope or you can only hope that if you were ever in a situation like that, um, that you do the same that they did. I mean, really step up. And I think that kind of echoes what you said. I mean, maybe not in the same vein, but uh, professional sports can get all these people in the stadium, you know, holding hands and, you know, having a collective like, hey, we're back at America's pastime and we're going to kind of onward and upward, we're going to continue to move forward. Uh, so, yeah, just a just a really, it's great to relive it in a sense that it's some of those things that we forget after 20 years, especially, but a really impactful event in our lifetime and hopefully never to be relived again. But, uh, you know, being connected to it in that way is uh, is something that I think of, you know, more regularly than maybe I would had it not happened. So it's, it's certainly a somber time and it's a time of reflection. And I mean, every family's had it. Every, every person individually has had that shitty moment in their life, but not reflecting on that and understanding it, I, I think wouldn't help you move forward or understand how to make it not happen again. And I agree with you in the sense that it, it brought out some remarkable you know, stories and situations in people as character, because you're right, you know, in those moments of panic is where you get to see that true self. And there were certainly people that stepped up, uh, you know, in, in, in a tragic moment like that, even inspired people to join uh, the forces and, and have the idea of protecting our freedom. So we will always, always 
uh, respect those who put themselves in harm's way, both here at home and abroad. We greatly appreciate. And if you are a veteran or if you're currently serving and listening to this podcast, know that uh, David Tuttle, Mark Ramos, and myself, we absolutely uh, adore you. And if you ever see us in public, make sure you come up to us and say hello and let us give our gratitude to you in a, in a heartfelt way face to face, because we do appreciate everything that you are doing. And, uh, it, it, you know, I just want to reflect a little bit on, you know, post 9-11 that season, watching the New York Mets go out and play the Atlanta Braves and seeing Mike Piazza hit that home run and just the emotion. You know, you could be 3,000 miles away from a moment and still feel the impact of that. And uh, it was remarkable to see how that game unfolded and the reaction and the relief of, of fans as they watched a game, something that took their minds off of the tragedies that had just happened to them and allow them to, to escape a little bit. And then one of the most indelible in images that I have from that season is when the Arizona Diamondbacks and the New York Yankees are playing in the World Series. And the first game in Yankee Stadium in the World Series has George W. Bush step onto that field with a flak jacket on, throw a perfect dime right down the middle uh, I believe it was Shane Spencer was catching that uh, that first pitch, and I, I I vividly remember it because he walked out on the field, and I'm going. First of all, I'm going. Good God, this is gutsy as hell or courageous, whatever. Standing in the middle of a stadium with who knows who out there, I can only imagine the protection around that stadium at that time. <laughs> oh, yeah. uh, but he steps onto the mound, you know, gives the wave, and then just throws a dart. And I vividly remember as that ball hit the glove. And having it be a strike, I was like, my, like my skin raised off my body. And I was like, oh my God, how the hell did he just do that? But that's one of the moments that I'll remember most about all that. Yeah, it was a, it was a, obviously we have a few things in our life. I mean, you know, the 1989 earthquake, I was in the Bay Area, you know, obviously 9-11. Yeah. I mean, there are these things that are just, uh, you know, and our grandparents and have them, as I mentioned, from, you know, wars uh, of the past. And, but we have these crazy events that are certainly etched in our minds. And we would be remiss releasing a podcast here on the weekend of the 20th anniversary of 9-11 and not talking about it. So uh, appreciate you sharing your story. And it's really nice to... Um, you know, like you said, honor and remember those that uh, that did some things that were uh, courageous and heroic, for lack of a better word. And it's, it was a tragic time with some great uh, events and uh, stories to come out of it. And I think what's neat about you mentioned the Mike Piazza home run, the 20th anniversary. There's some really good stories coming out right now. It seems like, you know, time yeah. heals a little bit. And so I would encourage the listeners to get out and read some of these crazy stories. I saw a podcast with these histories. I, my wife was telling me a story about a guy who was on the 60th floor of one of the towers and they were debating, you know, do we run out or whatever? And the floors collapsed while they were in there, but they were high enough on 60 that they basically ended up on a 30 story pile of rubble and then they climbed their way out. You know, I mean, these are things that we didn't hear wow. at the time because you think of all the people that perished, but it was like, basically this guy was on the top of the thing and he went, er, and then they walked out of the building, he and his buddy. And you're like, wow. I mean, you hear stories like that now and you just can't believe it. So boy, I, I would think that that would give you another lease on life. And you would probably, if you were not a good human before, you know, you're, you're taking, <laughs> you're taking comfort in the fact that like you're given another chance. So again, I mean, we talked about it quite a bit, but what a, what a, I guess, memorable event in our lifetime. And it's great to get to talk to you about it. 
Yeah, it is good to get that out there. It's a little cathartic, and hopefully those stories are entertaining to you. And uh, we're we're going to try and finish off this podcast in, in grand fashion and maybe lift it up a little bit. And uh, we got a couple more segments before we head out of the bleachers. And, of course, this is Tuttle's time. What will Tuttle say? You know, it's funny. It seems a little... Um I don't know. It's not disingenuous. A little. We got to lighten the mood here, so I, I'm gonna go. I'm gonna go really light. You know, after talking about 9/11 there. But uh, make my bro- me smile. There you go. My brother Jeff. Shout out to him. Sent me a text message saying, you know, here, here's one for the Bleacher Blums mailbag. And I told him I won't read it. You have to submit it through our BleacherBlums.com <laughs> website. There's certain protocols or our Bleacher Blums uh, Instagram. So I refuse to no. <laughs> I didn't say that, but his text message is like, hey, I got something for you. He goes, you know, the things that I rant on, right? Shopping carts in the parking lot, things like that. So this is another one. My brother lives up near San Francisco, so he'll see this more than most. But if you live in New York City, San Francisco, any big city, you can attest to this. But he wanted to know what benefit comes from uh, whacking the crosswalk button like 75,000 times <laughs> before you cross. And I thought, I th- yeah, now we know that Tuttles think alike, right? Because that's something that's crossed my mind before too. And it's usually, I mean, it is funny. I, I, it made me think about it. So he sent this to me a couple of weeks ago and I happened to be walking somewhere recently. <laughs> and there was this like 18 year old kid and he was like, you know, he's just, I mean, just like whacking. Yeah, like, and you want to go, hey, <laughs> I mean, look, Bruh. the light's green and we know it's green that way. When that light goes red, it will give us that little walking man. It might even beep and it might say, walk, walk. Wait. Walk, but it's not coming any faster the more you push it. So, I mean, what more appropriate thing to say in uh, what'll Tuttle say segment than like, what are we doing, people? Like, hitting that button 75,000 times before you cross is not going to help it go any faster. I've actually tested myself. I mean, it maybe makes us feel better and your OCD gets in there. Just, <laughs> Some just push it once. Just push it once. We're going to do our own little study. Push it once no and way. then have somebody else push it 75,000 times and then see. No. It's hard. It's difficult to the, push the it one, once. The one push never works. <laughs> There's no way you could just push it once. There's no way. Hey, we're going to do our own study here. But uh, anyway, folks, I would suggest going, that... Uh, no, don't yeah, do it. Don't yeah. push don't it. Don't do it again. Don't push it again. So here you go. Dude, it's so yeah. true though, man. I got this. And I mean, so, how about in the elevator too? Like, the, the, you know what? You know what? In the elevator, in the elevator, the door, you know what the biggest farce in the world is? The biggest lie to anybody who's ever been in an elevator is the door close button. Oh, yeah. That thing doesn't work. That thing no, never works. No. Yeah, they put it there because they know people are wacky and crazy and the psychology gets to them. So, and and that does translate. So the crosswalk one translate. Um, producer Mark just sent me a note saying there are rumors that the actual walk buttons are not connected to anything, which I actually, that's funny, right? That would be what? really funny. Yeah, what? Well, think about it. So you've been in New York City plenty of times. In New York City, they don't have buttons. <laughs> like, when I've walked, I, I walked 20 blocks in New York City and you can keep walking all the time. You either walk this way with the traffic and or you go cross. Yeah, You're you like, oh, I'm going to cross yeah. and then keep going down. So you can always zigzag and go, but there's no buttons in New York City. When the light goes green, the walk sign goes. When the light goes red, the walk, you know, the don't walk sign comes up. Yeah, they're in most, like most big cities, there aren't even buttons because they know there's so many pedestrians. It just goes every time. But they're not connected to something. Ah, now we're getting That's somewhere. That's messed up. That's messed up. Yeah. Man, somebody needs to be written up, taken to court. I don't that's messed up. 
just cut. I mean, there's nothing connect. It's just a stupid button that just, hey, let's go up there and touch the button a thousand times and it won't do anything. That's messed up. All right, here it is. We got facts. We got facts. New York City. In New York City, only about a hundred of the thousand crosswalk buttons actually function. <laughs> Confirmed a spokesperson from the... <laughs> this is great. My brother will appreciate this. Confirmed a spokesperson from the city's Department of Transportation in an email. Other cities such as Boston, Dallas, and Seattle have gone through a similar process, leaving them with their own placebo pedestrian buttons. I love that they even call it placebo. And my mind is blown. Like I must say, I'm not a thousand. We're getting I'm not played. A, I'm not a thousand button pusher. We are getting played. I'm not a thousand button pusher, but I did think they were connected to something. So now I've got to do this. I got to stand there with my arms under my hands, be like, don't push it. Don't touch it. Don't touch it. Because it's worthless. It's worthless. We have been lied to. Yeah, well. I feel kind hey. of let down. So you le- you learned something in what will Tuttle say. And I will give, again, a shout out to my brother for pointing it out. I don't know why, especially now with the new information that we have coming forward, you don't even have to push it once. So 75,000 times before there. you actually are there for is is really wasting but, your but time. But what if you were at one of the 100 that work? Yeah, there you go. <laughs> that's the that's the seed you got to plant. Yeah, yeah. No, I know 900 of them don't work, but hey, this is one of the ones that works. I'm going to push Guys, it. Guys, I know this intersection real well. I got this button. That's right. I got it. What Let a me joke. What a joke. We've been living a lie. Is there secret? There needs to be like secret cameras at like every single one Ooh. of these things recording everybody going trying to like get that thing to go. Candid camera. You know what's nice though is I'm actually, you know, with COVID and everything, I'm not really a button pusher. Maybe I'll hit it with my elbow on the elevator or something like that. But the way this works is if you're with other people, two or three other people, you're guaranteed to be with someone that's a button pusher. So I'm always like, I'll just walk on an elevator and stand there. And then someone gets on there like, I'm like, great. I'm gonna let them, Hey, can you get button number three for me? Thank you. Like, I just don't, you know, (laughs) I don't have to push any buttons, walk up to a corner with 10 other people. You know, there's going to be someone already on the button, giving it the freaking out on it. Yeah. So, Hey, so that's what'll Tuttle say. Uh, hope you guys appreciate that. Thanks, producer Mark, for the statistics. Now maybe you guys can all uh, yeah. back off on the button pushing since we know it's a placebo anyway. Plumber, what do you got? You got a blast to take us out of here or what? Yeah, I'm tired of getting old. <clears throat> Excuse me. As I clear my throat because I've been talking too much. <clears throat> and I, me, I don't me, me, have me. a yeah. We We've got me coughing, you chewing protein bars on this show already. That's great. And I don't have a cough button on this. Well, I actually do. I could actually hit the mute button. So I lied. Uh, but I, I, I'm tired of getting old. And the more, I get so many reminders these days of how old I'm actually getting. You know, one, you know, it'll be a day where I wake up and I can't read anything. You just need longer arms. Yeah, that's exactly it. Like the phone just increasingly gets further away. And I'm, and I'm refusing to be the guy who turns his text like into the, you know, the magnified big, cause I'm paranoid. Somebody's going to be reading over my shoulder or something. I don't know. Uh, so that's happening. I wake up, you know, every day and I'm going, why in God's name is my left knee hurt after I did literally nothing yesterday? Why, why does my back hurt? So, you know, if I sleep wrong, my neck is a wreck for the next week. You know, there are certain things that remind me on a daily basis. So, this past week, uh, my wife went to Costco and got the caramel corn and cheddar popcorn bag that's mixed together. Mm. And I have found out in the last week that I I have to stop myself from eating popcorn now because I eat popcorn and I swear to every freaking kernel 
get stuck in between my teeth. Now I have gaps in my teeth that could probably hold, you know, half a hamburger in there that I don't know about. Dental floss. And I have never flossed so much in my life than I have in the last week because I re- I refuse to give up. But I think I've finally hit my breaking point where I'm like, I can't eat any more popcorn, man. It, I, I will eat the popcorn. I will floss for a good 10 minutes. And I swear to you, half of what I ate is coming out of my face through the floss. And I will rinse. It's a good diet. Oh, my gosh. Dude, so I'm tired of getting old. I don't know what's going on. I have very good teeth, but I don't know. Like, there's there where where is all this popcorn hiding? And why is it getting stuck in my teeth? But I am now tired of getting old because I cannot eat popcorn without having it lodged with in between my teeth on a nightly basis. That's where I'm at. Yeah, like I said, that that sounds like a great diet. You eat, honey, did you eat the whole bag of popcorn? Yes, I did. But guess what? Only half of it made it to my stomach because the rest of it is in my teeth and I flossed it out. So it's the best <laughs> diet, you know, you've probably ever been on. It is. You know, Blummer, the eating thing is not uh, as dire for me. I don't know. I just don't eat popcorn, but you know, raspberries get stuck in my teeth. Oh, always. dude, good Eat call. a handful of raspberries and you're guaranteed to have like three or four yeah. seeds in. Two hours later, you're like, what is that? I don't think you, uh, I don't think you broke the internet by saying getting old sucks, but <laughs> I mean, I think people realize that, but I think I've told the story before, but it, you know, bears repeating in that when I got to be middle forties, I went to the doctor and my vision was like 2015 still, which, you know, athletes tend to, whether it be, yeah, whether it be like eye hand coordination or whatever, like we tend, like I've always had good vision. So I was like, yeah, this is great. And then at 46, 47, I went in there and I'm like, yeah, I, I get up in the morning and I can't see anything that's two (laughs) feet from my face, like nothing, like blurry, whatever. And then at night, same thing. You know, I don't have any, Mm, you know, I didn't have a glass of wine, didn't have a beer. And I'm like, I can't see anything. And the doctor goes, welcome to old age, my friend. And I'm like, oh, you mean this Did is you have normal? have to say it like that? God, like. Yeah, thanks, yeah, Doc. Just, and my, yeah, my feelings were hurt. I'm like, but I still have 2015 <laughs> vision, don't I? Yeah, well, great. You can see over there, but can you read your iPad in the morning? No, I cannot. Nope. Can you read your phone? <laughs> no. But this is also stubborn athletes because, mm-hmm. you know, yep. you can see I have notes on here, but the font on my, I mean, that's. I'm not going any bigger than that font. Yeah. There's no way. I don't want people reading over my shoulders. And and I want to keep, you know, I don't want to like three words on a page. You know, you you get an article and you're like, <laughs> this is a 75 page article. No, no, no. It was a four page article, but you have the font so big that it's now a 75 page. Article. I'm like, oh, okay. Well, I just got to, my finger gets tired, like flipping through the pages. You're like, all right. Yeah, no, that's but, beautiful. We're, we're old athletes, stubborn. As you said, I'm your old buddy. Old is the operative word. So yeah. Um, I think that's going to do it. Yep, that is going to do it. And uh, of course, at the end of every podcast here on Bleacher Blums, we want to ask you to rate, review, subscribe, pass it around, share it with your friends. We've got good conversations. We spoke with Vic Rojas, Evan Gaddis. Uh, we, we we're going to try and have a guest every uh, every month if we possibly can. Uh, just make sure that you're out there rating, reviewing, subscribing. We're on most podcast platforms. We have a YouTube channel that has short hops that will give you short video snippets of segments that we have here in the bleachers. So make sure that you get on there and subscribe to that. There's always the potential that you may win an autographed baseball by either one of us or maybe some swag. So make sure you keep in touch with the Bleacher Blums social media at Bleacher Blums on Twitter and on Instagram. And of course, you can always reach Tuttle at Real David Tuttle on Twitter. You can also get to me at Blummer27 on Instagram and on and on Twitter, as you see on the video version of 
the Bleacher Blums podcast. Waddle Tuttle has his own t-shirt. Of course, go to bleacherblums.com and check out some of those new t-shirts and things like that. But we absolutely love the fact that you are listening, and we absolutely love the fact that our veterans are going out there and work so hard to protect us and our current uh, serving military. We, we wish you all the best. I appreciate the heck out of you and all the first responders, essential workers, frontline workers, everybody who is doing a great job to keep us safe and sound. We ask you to, Tuttle. Every podcast we finish with folks that listen to this, you got to get after it and believe it. Believe it. What are we doing here, guys? Is this the Bleacher Blums podcast or what? Stuff it in, tubby.